This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Welcome to Pass the Mic. I'm Bo York, and we've got a uh, unique episode this particular week, but we're actually putting this out early due to some pressing issues going on in the community uh, as it stands today. Uh, with me is your usual co-host, Mr. Jamar Tisby. I am here, and kind of eager to kind of get get some things off my chest. So I apologize. This is partly selfish catharsis for me. Well, no, that's uh, that's perfectly all right. Of course, uh, you know, we've talked before about the double-edged sword of social media, the uh, ability that it has in terms of providing excellent conversation and connecting people, but also uh, the perhaps less than excellent opportunities that it provides uh, some folks and also the, the challenges that comes along with it. Of course, what I'm kind of leaning in towards here is what went on this past week uh, with Dr. James White, who is a well-known Reformed Baptist apologist. His ministry, Alpha Omega, has been very uh, influential in the lives of uh, various folks in Reformed circles and and just in the evangelical world as a whole. Jamar, why don't you tell us what happened uh, this last past week on social media with uh, Dr. James White? Well, again, the double-edged sword of social media. He put up a post And it was a very interesting post right off the bat because it was related to a dash cam video that he actually took. He had a dash cam installed in his personal vehicle, and he relates an incident where he saw a particular youth doing some things that, you know, were reckless, were immature. And so it's probably better if I just read it to you what he said. All right. So this happened on March 17th. He posted it at 9.23 p.m. It has since been taken down, so don't go looking for it. But he says this, I bought a dash cam recently. Seems everyone in Russia has one, parentheses. I guess you have to have, I guess you have to for insurance purposes. And I thought it would be pretty good to have to document some of the crazy things that happen while driving. So I was coming home this evening and happened to be the first car at Glendale and 35th Avenue in Phoenix. And as you'll see, so he posted the actual video too. But he says, as you'll see, a young black kid looks to be about 15 years old or so was crossing the street. Now, if you watch, you will see a police SUV cross in front of me first going east. The kid then comes into the screen and though he sort of hid it under his elbow, he plainly flips off the police vehicle. Then he is emptying the drink he is consuming as he walks out of the frame. What you can't see is that he simply tossed the bottle into the bush in the corner of the gas station. I happened to notice the two ladies in the car next to me had seen the same thing. We just looked at each other, put up our hands in exasperation, and shook our heads. As I drove away, I thought about that boy. There is a more than 70% chance he has never met his father. In all probabilities, he has no guidance, has no example. He is filled with arrogance and disrespect. And the result is predictable. 
In his generation, that 70% number will only rise. He may well father a number of children, most of which will be murdered in the womb, padding the pockets of Planned Parenthood, and those that survive will themselves be raised without a natural family, without the God-ordained structure that is so important for teaching respect and true manhood or womanhood. And here's the last paragraph. It never crossed my mind to flip off a police car as it passed by me when I was his age. Of course, it never crossed my mind to walk around with my butt hanging out of my pants either, as if the entire world needed to see what kind of underwear I was sporting that day. I know I would have been mighty guilty had I tossed my drink bottle into a bush, and I never would have dreamed of doing that in front of everyone like this young man did. But I had a father and a mother, and I was taught to respect others and myself. If I had not had those things, I still would not have acted as he, simply because times have changed and not for the better. There was simply more restraint in my day. It surely makes me wonder what the future holds. Oh, I know, this is nothing. There are videos online of kids like this shooting guns in the air and robbing people and doing carjackings. I know, but you need to understand these folks didn't get there very easily. Uh, and he goes on, so that's the gist of it. So, you know, I mean, obviously, this is supposed to be put some thought into he uh, had on his mind, on his heart. Um, and in response, well, there was a lot of response. <laughs> there was a lot of response. You know, I don't follow James White's ministry. I, I've heard of him and I know what he does. But as far as being deeply influenced by his ministry, that that wasn't my my case. However, there were some brothers, particularly African-Americans, who had followed his ministry and been very edified by it. And I, I want to emphasize that everybody who brought this up that I've seen or communicated with has done it in a respectful manner. And they've done it out of a, a, a sense that, man, I really appreciate this man's work, and I don't want to see him make these kind of um, assertions that, that, that can be offensive. And so it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't on my radar until it was on my brother's radars. And so that's why I even felt compelled to speak out. Otherwise, I would have said, ugh, that's uh, not a great post and moved on. Well, you know, this is a kind of a developing situation as it were, but, but, and, and there are kind of almost stages and waves that have come along with us. But before kind of following through with those waves, why don't you respond to that? Ugh, this is not a great post. <laughs> Let, let's hear Jamar Tisby's. Oh, thoughts. there's so many levels. There's so many levels. Um, I, I, I'm a little confused about why any, why a private citizen has a dash cam. I mean, it's his right. That's fine. He says, I thought it would be pretty good to, to document some of the crazy things that happen while driving. That's certainly the case. I don't know that you need a dash cam to do that. Uh, cell phone videos are, are pretty good these days if anything happens to occur at the moment. Are you advocating for driving while recording on your cell phone? Absolutely not. Safety first, kids. <laughs> Safety first. Right, right. However, you know, it, it. so to me that – what what are you looking for? You know, maybe it's to document a car accident or something and have proof. That's fine. But – it also sort of, I think, and I'm not accusing Dr. White of this, I don't know for sure, but to me, it's like it, it, it lends itself to a mentality of looking for issues, looking for things that are out of whack. It just rubbed me the wrong way that there's a dash cam in somebody's car. So that's one. More to the point is he identifies this person as a young black kid, quote, young black kid looks to be 15 years old or so. 
that right there was an automatic trigger for me because what does his race have to do with any of what he wants to say? And yet he identifies it. And what's interesting is in the follow-up, he's saying to the other people, why are you bringing race into this? It was already there. You brought race into it as soon as you mentioned that he was a young black kid looking to be about 15 or so. And then from there, it only gets worse because it seems to be very closely connected to his race and his age that um, flipping off the police and littering were just inherent and endemic to him as a person because he fit this certain demographic where there's a 70% chance he has never met his father. And then he goes on to say that the results of this man's entire life are predictable. Um, That 70% number will only rise. He may well father a number of children, most of which will be murdered in the womb. So, so, so he goes from this kid flipping off the police and littering to he's going to have a bunch of baby mamas um, and they're going to be aborted. And in doing so, you're going to pad the pockets of Planned Parenthood and any of them that survive will themselves be raised without a natural family. So now it's a, it's a generational cycle of fatherlessness from this boy who's about 15, but his whole life has been mapped out in literally less than a minute. You know, all of that to me is a is a gross dehumanization of this actual person mm. who he knows nothing about other than what he snapped on a dash cam. You see posts like this on Facebook, but the fact that it's coming from someone like James White, uh, talk about that a little bit. <sighs> that that might be. I mean, I, I go back and forth. What's the worst part of this whole situation? Um, and so the fact that this comes from a Christian, a, a very well-known Christian, a very intelligent and studied, well-researched Christian, uh, as a matter of fact, with a very public ministry. And I think, you know, lots of—that's the, that's the insidious part. How many people have these kinds of assessments, particularly of black male youth, that they see— and might be on their way to church when they when they see it and have these thoughts, or might be discipling even a a young African American, and yet they have these thoughts. And it goes back to the conversation we had last week about implicit bias. What kind of judgments do we make based on people's superficial appearances? What kind of meaning do we attach to skin color or age or gender that because we've heard a stereotype or a statistic here or there, we just automatically thrust that upon someone? And so I. Statistics are good to make broad generalizations. They're not good when dealing with individual people. You have to deal with individuals as individuals. He references like when he was growing up, right? It never crossed my mind uh, to flip off of a police car. Um, I wouldn't have had my butt hanging out of my pants. There was simply more restraint in my day, he says. In my day, like really? So, so people didn't litter. People didn't have problems with the cops, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, whenever he was growing up. That's so dangerous for us to think like that, that there was some golden age of morality in the United States or wherever when things were just better. Now, I'm not saying that, that you know, recent times haven't seen more of a drift from what we would commonly associate with morals and ethics, uh, attached to the Bible. I mean, there was at least a common understanding of what that looked like in general. But to, to, to say that these kinds of things didn't happen or you would have known better because you were raised better, I just, 
I can't, I can't, I, I don't agree with that at all because sin has always manifested itself. It's just manifested itself in different ways. I'm not saying that there was ever a time when we were, we should have been really proud of our social ethics, particularly right. as, as regards African Americans. So whenever, uh, you know, somebody says back in the good old days, you got to say the good old days for whom? <laughs> right. Because, right. because you go back not that long ago, I couldn't have used the same bathroom as some people. I certainly couldn't have sat on in in the, my preferred seat on the bus or gotten particular jobs. Uh, I mean, that's ridiculous to say, and it's very culturally bounded. Uh, it's a very culturally bounded thing to say. And so that's an extremely difficult assertion. If you think that there is a day when America was great, and we just need to go back to those foundations, I, I think you'd be very disappointed because it wasn't as great as it looks looking backwards. So Dr. White falls into uh, a similar fraternity in terms of leaders in the evangelical world. Um, most of the the largest voices that are there uh, that have the largest platforms, a lot of these guys are white. And so a lot of these guys do suffer from significant blind spots, blind spots that you could arguably see all throughout this post. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, this is coming from a, a man who is well-respected within Christian communities. And one would assume that these opportunities for um, perhaps a misstep are an opportunity to learn and to kind of get aware of, oh, these are blind spots that I have. Um, is this a teachable moment? Oh, it's such a teachable moment for Dr. White. It, it should have been, but he did a follow-up post where he basically doubles down and retreats from the conversation. So he throws out this term, ethnic Gnosticism, which is a whole topic in and of itself. But then he also says that a bunch of people decided to make it about race as if the color of the person was the issue. But he says ethnic Gnosticism is so entrenched, so unquestionable that there's no middle ground in someone like me. I can assume he means a white person. I am simply not allowed to have a view of such things. I am to shut up and keep my nose out of it. The people I know who interacted with him, and so so folks engaged him on Twitter, and they, they, they talked to him about his post. He didn't concede any of their points that I saw. Maybe I missed something, but not that I saw. And then he basically, because they were talking about their their basic point of the people I saw engaging him was, you, you can't judge a book by its cover. You don't know this person's situation, and maybe he does come from a very rough background uh, that, that may point to some of his behaviors, but that's not a reason to condemn him. That's a reason to understand him. And it was basically calling for... And, and then again, maybe he doesn't come from a rough background. You don't know. That's the point. And so it was basically a call for uh, treating him as an individual and fostering, you know, is there a relationship where he could understand the context of a young African-American teenager? That's what they were advocating for. But Dr. White evidently felt attacked. He, he levels this claim that ethnic Gnosticism is the idea that only if you have this special, you, you have this special knowledge if you're African-American about race and racism, and only those with that special knowledge, particularly minorities, can talk about it such that when whites like Dr. White talk about it, he, he's automatically excluded from the conversation. Well, that's, that's bogus. That's not true at all. Um, 
the only thing people are asking is that you actually take the time to understand the context where these comments are coming from and why a post like his original post was so hurtful. We would love to have Dr. White talking about racial issues in a healthy way. We would love to have it after he's researched some of the history, after he has had some personal relationships where he can understand someone's experience to begin advocating for racial justice in a social media platform like he did here. It's not a question of whether you're white or black, but I saw somebody else post who better than a black person to understand the black experience. So is there something to learn from people who are African-American? Absolutely. Um, So I think all of this points back to taking a posture of, of listening and humility. And that's what I wish he had done. Instead of engaging and trying to understand, he said, so I, I have added this entire area. Anything that could in any way, shape, or form touch upon race be construed as touching upon race to my list of quote-unquote never topics. So he says, I don't take calls on millennial theories. I don't debate millennial theories, and everyone knows it. If you want to get into an argument about that, go for it. Just leave me out. Make this the second topic on that list. I have zero. Maybe that's too generous. It should be a negative number. Interest in the never-ending, subjectivity-filled, Gnostic-tinged, you-can't-understand-until-you-walk-a-mile-in-my-shoes blather that never comes to a conclusion and never seems to allow itself to recognize one simple fact, how much melancholy you have in your skin is all caps irrelevant to the commands of scripture it's interesting i mean if if someone with a significant following was to create a post uh that was extremely heretical would not there be a cause for james white and folks of his background to reach out and try to educate or would they just try to squash it. I, what am I trying to say? Yeah. What, what, what would the response be? Cause I, I mean, again, I, I, I always, for, for my money, I always try to, to see, all right, well, if I, if someone is disagreeing with me, let me try to think from their perspective. And so someone in James White's position, uh, what would be the equivalent? Would it not be kind of someone speaking heretical here? And wouldn't you want that person to get education, to understand the gospel? Wouldn't you even want to extend help to that person, as many were doing for, for Dr. White? I mean, it, you would think, but there that's the problem. There is this dichotomy, this bifurcation. There are gospel and theological issues, and then there are social issues, which I think is an artificial separation. Surely, uh, you know, there are horizontal and vertical kinds of distinctions we can make, but whatever's vertical touches on the horizontal, touches on the life we live here and now. And that's the thing. People don't think race is a gospel issue. People don't think race is a theological issue. People think that it is a sort of um, tertiary or, like we say, uh, extra, you know, an elective rather than part of the core curriculum. And so they can choose to pay attention to it or not. And then even if they make errors in it, it's not a big deal. You know, it's like it's like. P.E., you get satisfactory or unsatisfactory in the class, but it's not like math where you get an A, B, C, D, or F. That you really have to pay attention to. Mm. But this race stuff, you know, if I kind of get it good, but if I don't, nuts. Moving on. While his voice would be extremely appreciative with the right context and with with a, a better understanding of, of the subject matters he was going into, there is something of a of a luxury if not a privilege, yes, yes. that is, you know, you Dr. White doesn't have to talk about race. Yes. Look, I went on a Twitter rant, and I said that same thing. I said, 
something like it's 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 really the height of privilege to decide to walk away from conversations about race. Ethnic minorities like African Americans and their allies don't have that luxury. As a black man living in the United States today, I can't not address issues of race because they're confronting me all the time, whether I want them to or not. And so what we need from our white brothers and sisters who are Christian is for them to stand up and be allies and continue to speak about it. I'll never forget um, John Piper in a, a, a conversation that happened years ago about uh, race in the church with him, Tim Keller, and Anthony Bradley said that when they first tried to do gospel music at his majority white church, an African-American member or a visitor came up and said, that was awful, but I'm glad you tried it. Right. You know, and and they kept trying it, and they're much better at it now. And that's what it takes. So you wade into a conversation about race, and you you mess it up. You me- you, you You mess up royally. Okay, I have too, even as an African-American. And I get corrected, and it stings, and it hurts, but you stay in the game. That's how you get wiser. That's how you get more experienced. That's how you help push this conversation along. And we need white people to do that because if I say something, it will be received a certain way by certain people who are white. If other white people can talk to each other, that's an even different layer to the conversation that we need. And now I need to keep speaking out, but we also need allies to speak out as well. So it's just not, that's, that's probably what upsets me the most is not that he posted this. I mean, that is very troubling and upsetting, but it can be a teachable moment. You can learn from it. But the fact that it seems like he is retreating, he's, he's, he's very much limited. He turned off his Twitter account for a minute, turned it back on with limited use and, he's not engaging that I know of some of these folks who first kind of confronted him about it. That's the most troublesome part for me. Like, how are we ever going to get better if, if that's the attitude? And I'll just reiterate, these guys that I saw were very respectful. Now, maybe that wasn't universal, but I know the most vocal folks who were interacting with him over Twitter respected his ministry, had learned a lot from his ministry, called him brother, all the time. So to me, it wasn't a case of these guys were trolling him and I'm going to shut you off. It was, he was being corrected. Some blind spots were being pointed out. And instead of learning from it, he kind of shut it off. Well, and sometimes taking a step back is not necessarily a bad thing, especially when it comes to social media. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, taking, uh, taking a moment to reflect, it can be a benefit from the sounds of things. I think conversations are going on though maybe not publicly. That'd be great. What what would your charge to Dr. White be? All right, so you, you make a great point about sort of a cooling off period. So this stuff happened St. Patty's Day, March 17th. I took three days to, to sit and think before I ever said anything um, because I wanted to make sure that, A, I wasn't jumping on a bandwagon because I, I, I sympathize with Dr. White. You know, it wasn't just one person. It was a bunch of people, it seemed like, or at least more than one, who who were talking about this issue. And so maybe he felt, you know, ganged up on whatever it might be. I sympathize with that. Um, I certainly sympathize with the fact that social media is not, not the best place. I mean, who, who who's mind is really deeply changed because of a tweet or a Facebook post? Well, you never know. You but. never know. <laughs> but... For these kinds of things where where we, we need to lovingly point out an error, I'm, I'm certainly not convinced social media is the best place. However, 
I don't think it was wrong for them to encounter him on social media since he put it up on social media. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a one-to-one deal in the sense that if you're going to put it out there in this medium, you should be ready for a response in that medium as well. That's every time I do a blog post, I know that if I put that out there publicly, I can get, you know, folks commenting in the comment section or on Facebook or social media, and I'm accountable for that. If I want to put it out there publicly, I got to be open to what the public might say. Mm. Um, so I think it was fair. However, you know, if we want to get to a resolution, A, it's going to take a lot of prayer. And I wouldn't assume that these guys especially, because I know them, I wouldn't assume that they were just kind of re- reflective, re- reflexively tweeting and, and reacting. They were thoughtful about this. Um, I know myself, I've put some prayer into this. I've tried to... to be measured uh but this post was just in your face i mean it was it was hard it hurt it hurt thank you it hurt and that's one of the things that we got to understand the only reason that this particular post stands out is because dr white has a large following but these kinds of things these kinds of comments are common whether it be on fox news whether it be from a friend or a family member, whether it be from a stranger, whether you be that you are that teenager who somebody made assumptions about and did whatever, called the police on you, told you get off my lawn, whatever it might be. I don't know. This stuff is commonplace. And every now and again, it gets attention like this one has. But you can just imagine over years and years and years, this boy looks to be about 15. Now, statistics show that with African-American males, people generally think they're four years older than they actually are. Let's say he's 15. Can you imagine going the next 10, 20, 30 years with people making all kinds of assumptions about you? That wears on you. And that's what I want folks who are not African-American to understand as best they can and to sympathize and empathize with, at least listen to our perspective. And proactively listen, right? I mean, you've mentioned before that starting off having conversations in your church or um, wherever that might be so that it's not you made a grand misstep later on that you feel like you have to defend, but instead, you're actively trying to gain knowledge. Mm. You're actively trying to gain understanding. Absolutely. And you're coming into the conversation not as someone who made a statement, but as someone who is seeking to understand. So that, That's ideally, good. you can make statements. Absolutely. So that you can engage. That's, again, somebody like Dr. White, with the right perspective, be a great voice in this conversation. Huge ally. Um, and I applaud folks who are doing that. Uh, Sean Lucas, who's in my denomination, he stands out as one. He's, he's, a, he's a white uh, pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He's also a professor of church history at Reformed Theological Seminary. He spent some time at um, uh, Covenant Theological Seminary as their, as their dean of academics. And so he's, he's a very scholarly man, a very learned man. He's also a pastor. Um, and, and so he's in this fraternity of, you know, well-respected Christian men who are increasingly well-known. Not everybody knows Sean Lucas, but he's written several great books that you should pick up. But he's a great example of an ally. He's someone who in his particular field studies history. He studied, you know, 19th century Presbyterianism. And so 
slavery, the Civil War, and how religious folks, Christian folks, because the Presbyterian story is really the Southern Baptist story, it's the Southern Methodist story, it's evangelicals. Um, And so he studied how Christians, particularly white Christians, responded in those cases of you know, extreme racial tension. And then, of course, he looks at the 20th century as well. And based on not only that, but they have a close relationship with a black church, not just a once a year, hey, let's switch pulpits type of thing. They get together regularly throughout the year. And he's developed relationships with guys like me, other pastors who are black in his area. And so he's come to be personally convinced as well as theologically convinced that racial reconciliation racial reconciliation needs to be a top priority for the church. And he has been vocal about it, and here's the thing, he has taken risks for it. So he presented the personal resolution on civil rights remembrance at last year's uh, General Assembly for the PCA, the 2015 General Assembly, which was basically saying, hey, we need to take responsibility for not advocating proactively for our brothers and sisters um, uh, who are African-American during the civil rights movement. And that was very controversial. And he's taken a lot of hits, whether emails or phone calls, um, people's changed opinions of him. But that's what it means to be an ally. It's going to be costly. And if it's not costly, what are we really doing? Finally, it's worth making mention because in the middle of all of this, there was some misinformation uh, that was kind of being passed around. And there was some back and forth with, for example, uh, Thabiti and then also Dr. White, uh, you know, and, and specifically because an article that was kind of passed around, it wasn't just the B. I I think a, a few folks may have passed around an article, which I don't even know that I, I know enough about it to even give too much commentary yeah. other, other than to say that there was some misunderstanding, if not misinformation, uh, definitely involved in the subject matter. And it does seem like that situation has been resolved, though some are for fearful that, that may have shifted mm-hmm. the conversation a bit. Yeah, so it was a case of somebody asked Thabiti for like what Dr. White said because the post had been deleted. Mm. Thabiti retweeted the only source he'd seen, which apparently had some editorial comments. It wasn't just gotcha. the straight you know, post. Now, I, I don't know much about that situation at all. I came in on the tail end after it looked at that it had been resolved, but it looked like, you know, Thabiti was very apologetic for not, you know, sort of checking his sources. And it seemed his apology was received well. And and that's important, right? Here's the the double-edged sword of social media, right? That you do have to check your sources, and you do have to be aware of the particular angle and slant that people come from. Now, everyone has an angle or slant. You just got to be – you just got to know what it is and whether you want to put that out there or not. And so Thabiti was very apologetic about that. But I don't – that that cannot distract from the issue at mm-hmm. hand. Mm-hmm. The issue at hand was the original Facebook post, which there are enough, you know, sort of screenshots and screen grabs of that to get the original unadulterated version. And that is what is troublesome, along with Dr. White's continued response that seems like, at least publicly, um, he's really not – wanting to engage further on this issue. And so I don't want that to become a distraction. I think, you know, I learned so much from Thabiti's ministry and and sort of his pastoral bent to be able to humbly, you know, apologize for that uh, on social media is a great example to us all. And, you know, would that Dr. White had done the same over the original post and what kind of conversation might we be having right now? Social media provides for a lot of interesting conversations and situations, (laughs) does it not? It absolutely does. And, you know, I speak as someone who is 
misused and abused at, at times as well. Uh, so it's it's certainly not not a case where we're really you know he who is without sin cast the first stone type of thing. Uh, however, like I said, if if you post it publicly and you get a public response, I think that's fair. Um, now, I think real transformation is going to come through these personal relationships. I think it's going to come through further study and research to understand the context. And it's not, let me say this clearly, understanding the context doesn't mean you're trying to make excuses for people. It doesn't. I work with kids who, you know, if you look at the statistics, they're coming from extremely disadvantaged backgrounds. And yet, when they walk through the door of our school, we're holding them to high expectations. We know that you may have struggled to sleep last night because you were taking care of your little brother or sister. We know that you may not have had a great breakfast coming home. We know that, you know, someone yelled at you or whatever. We know that there's stuff that we don't know. Here's your math work. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not to make excuses. It is to understand where they are, to meet them where they are, to meet them gently and humbly and mercifully where they are, and to walk with them in whatever circumstance or situation life finds them, which is what we would want, right? Uh, so, so, you know, to understand the context doesn't mean that, that it excuses anyone's behavior, um, but it does mean that there's probably a reason for it. Well, Jamar, I know that a lot of folks have been uh, hoping to hear your voice in, in the midst of this situation, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to get this one out a little bit early. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be, as soon as we cut off, there's going to be like 10 different things I wish I had said or said differently. So I do, you know, apologize. But like I said, it's this is not abstract. This is not philosophical. This is very personal. It's not the first time it's happened either on social media with a prominent uh, a leader or in, you know, sort of personal individual context. So I do ask forgiveness if I've misspoken or, or misunderstood, uh, but do understand there is a context and, um, and this is, this is why it's important. It is a gospel issue. Um, we need to walk in step with the truth of the gospel when it comes to race and ethnicity and diversity uh, in our culture and especially in the church. So, you know, that's my hope and my goal with all these. And I appreciate you both for taking the time to do it. Oh, absolutely. On the fly. Happy to. We want to thank Jamar Tisby for joining us this episode of Pass the Mic. As always, you can learn more about the Reformed African American Network by visiting randnetwork.org. You can also follow the network on Twitter at randnetwork, as well as the show at underscore pass the mic. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Reformed African Americans. And hey, check out the new Facebook group, Pass the Mic. It's a closed group, so you'll need to apply to get in, but we would love to have you join the conversation there. Pass the Mic is a collaborative effort between the Reformed African American Network and Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com to discover the highest and quality online audio entertainment. The producer for the show is myself, Bo York. Our guest today and co-host has been Jamar Tisby, and I've been your stand-in host, Bo York. We'll see you soon on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.